Hello and welcome to this edition of Nightlight. You know, over the years, uh, Nightlight began nearly 16 years ago, well, actually over 16 years ago now, as a means of communicating to those who wanted additional teaching from us. It was named Nightlight because partly it was uh, taken from the title of the music that we had just produced, Against the Night. When men have lost all reason and evil seems to win, then compromise is treason and silence is a sin. Let all who hate the darkness prepare to stand and fight. The children of the morning must stand against the night. And nightlight was meant to be uh, ammunition for that battle. Still is. And uh, far more now than at ever any time previous. And I thank you so much for the, the notes that I received from so many of you in response to last month. I guess we got more response from that uh, newsletter than we have in any that I remember in quite a while. And though I'm grateful for the response, I was a little concerned about how many of you wrote me some form of statement that went like this. I was so grateful to read what you wrote because... And then they all said some form of this statement. I've been really uh, criticized by people around me for being, quote, negative. And uh, that the idea of having to prepare for a possible impending time of great difficulty, they saw as unbelief. Well, the Bible doesn't support their critical position of people who see the evil coming and prepare for it. Book of Proverbs says the wise person sees the day of evil approaching and prepares for it. I guess that means the others in the other category are the opposite of wise. It's not negative to face reality. It's spiritual sanity. And on the opposite, it is not positive to ignore reality. It is spiritual insanity. Now, uh, it, it doesn't take an economist. In fact, if, you, if, you, if you've been reading the works of the economists, it makes you wonder what planet they live on. It doesn't take an economist to figure out that uh, you cannot print bogus money and survive it. Any of you who know anything about the Weimar Republic, which paved the way for the rise of Hitler, uh, that was the, the era when the, literally it took a, a wheelbarrow full of bogus money to buy a loaf of bread because there was too much money chasing too few goods. We are setting ourselves up for that. You can't break economic law and get away with it, just like you can't break moral law and get away with it, just like you can't break physical law and get away with it. There's a God in heaven who created heaven and earth and who ordained that reality be acknowledged. When you step off a, an airplane without a parachute, you're dead meat, uh, unless there's a supernatural intervention, which we call a miracle. Well, I want to tell you, I'm not looking for a miracle to intervene and save America or the West or the European continent from the ramifications of the way we have behaved over the last 30-plus years. Now, I want to tell you a story, and then 
I want to go into the book of Ezekiel for a bit, and then I want to tell you about what the Holy Spirit is directing Mary and me to do, and I want you to know about it because you are directly related to it and are the spiritual and, uh, in some ways, financial engine that helps make those things happen. A little over a year ago, a uh, lady in our area who I, I know, she has been in some of my classes that I teach here, but she has a an effective and powerful and respected ministry all her own, named Maxie Hellman, received a word from the Lord that she was to go to every pastor in our area, I think it was some 200 pastors, and tell them this message. Now, this is over a year ago. She said, this is the word the Lord sent me to tell you. Everything you know is about to change. Make sure your people have repented, that their hearts are right with the Lord and with one another, because the change is coming and it will not be delayed. Um, I don't know the percentage of people who responded positively to Maxie. I know that a number did. I know that some brushed her off as uh, crazy or an interruption in their busy schedule or whatever. But uh, a few took it seriously. Now, a year later, Maxie called me a few days ago. Uh, she and I were communicating about other subjects. And she said, I, I wonder, Clay, how many of the pastors in the area took me seriously? Do you have any way of knowing? And I said, well, you know, I don't really have a lot of contact with, with all, I don't have any contact with a number of them, and uh, some of them I only see rarely. But I'll pray with you and uh, just see what the Lord shows you about uh, what to do next. Because she had received a second word. And the second word was, everybody carries on as usual. No one has taken seriously the word that uh, I sent. Um, but time is up. Uh, the party is over. Uh, it's time to choose which kingdom you're going to live in. And I'm, I'm paraphrasing to some degree because I don't have the exact word in front of me. But basically, you can get the gist of it. Now, 48 hours later, on Sunday morning, I was supposed to speak at a certain place, and uh, they got snowed in, and I was not able to go. And I was going to go do my regular normal thing. And the Lord spoke to me and directed me to a specific church that I was to go there. I'd only, I'd only been to this church service one time before in all the years we've lived here. When I walked in the door... The, the pastor uh, said, I have a message for the church that is probably the most important message I've ever given. And uh, I want you to please listen with both ears. And then he read from what I'm about to read to you uh, in Ezekiel chapter 7. And he read from uh, Eugene Peterson's message. God's word came to me saying, Son of man, God the Master has this message for the land. End time. The end of business as usual for everyone. It's all over. The end is upon you. I've launched my anger against you. I've issued my verdict against you. I've issued my verdict on the way you live. I'll make you pay for your disgusting obscenities. 
I won't look the other way. I won't feel sorry for you. I'll make you pay for the way you've lived. Your disgusting obscenities will boomerang on you, and you will realize that I am the Lord. I, God the Master, says, disaster after disaster. Look, it's coming. End time. The end comes. The end is ripe. Watch out. It's coming. This is your fate. You will live in this land. You who live in this land. Time is up. It's zero hour. No dragging of feet now. No bargaining for more time. Soon now I'll pour out my wrath on you. Pay out my anger against you. Render my verdict on the way you've lived. Make you pay for your disgusting obscenities. I won't look the other way. I won't feel sorry for you. I'll make you pay for the way you've lived. Your disgusting obscenities will boomerang on you. Then you'll realize that I, the Lord, have hit you. Judgment Day. Fate has caught up with you. The scepter, outsized and pretentious, prideful, bursting all bounds. Violence strutting, brandishing the evil scepter. But there's nothing to them, and nothing will be left of them. Time's up. Countdown. Five, four, three, two. Buyer, don't crow. Seller, don't worry. Judgment wrath has turned the world topsy-turvy. The bottom has dropped out of buying and selling. It will never be the same again. But don't fantasize an upturn in the market. The country is bankrupt because of its sins and it's not going to get any better. Now that's how he opened his message. Now, for those of you who listen to me month after month, and who every now and then will say, you know, uh, this is kind of negative. I don't really know what to say to people who say a message from the Word of God is negative. What does negative or positive mean in reference to Almighty God? Uh, I suppose some people think, depending on what kind of influence they've come under theologically, I guess, that the parts we don't like we can just ignore and just embrace the good parts because, after all, Jesus died to save us from all the bad and, therefore, there's nothing left but good for us. Well, certainly I understand the idea that Jesus has redeemed us from the curse of the law and that he has come to give us life and uh, give it more abundantly. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I've come that you might have life. I understand all of that. Uh, and I'm not for one minute diminishing the truth of all of that. But the reason I refer to it as all of that, I don't mean to be disrespectful to it at all, but all of that becomes nothing but a twisted concept out of context if you ignore all the rest of Scripture that uh, speaks to a people who have known, quote, all of that, that I just referred to, all the positive, all the good, and yet treated it as if it's nothing more than a credit card meant to supply us everything of our fleshly nature to make us happy on the earth and just disregard everything else I want to show you uh, several points from Ezekiel 7 that parallel our present condition 
first of all, the worthlessness of their money, the collapse of the economy, is mentioned in chapter 7, verse 12 and 13. Uh, the second point is the infiltration of foreign gods, which I guess they might have termed diversity, spoken of in chapter 7, verse 21. You understand that the infiltration of foreign gods is not the same thing as welcoming suffering people from third world countries who need help. Give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to be free is one of the most moving and, and blessed parts of the American spirit. But diversity, which allows the infiltration of other cultures to come in and not, not become part of the American culture, but to completely take over the culture like any disease that would take over a host body and parasite off of it until the, the host body is no longer living is cultural insanity, which we've committed. This is the kind of insanity a nation become, begins to operate in once it has lost its identity. You know, I, I'm... I don't care what anybody, I, I'm way beyond caring what people think when it comes to uh, uh, the American spirit that gives people the freedom to be atheists. And you, you, we came here to be free of religion, not free from, you know, not, not free to practice religion, but we should be able to be free from religion. And that's true. You know, go for it. The light's getting lighter and the dark's getting darker. So, you know, if you want if you want darkness, you go for it with everything you've got. But I'm, I'm really, I'm fed up with sitting around trying to make sure I don't say the wrong thing to insult anybody. Almighty God is insulted. The king of the universe, the lord of creation, the master of heaven and earth, who holds this tiny planet in the palm of his hand and can... Do whatever he wants to with it. He's insulted. He's insulted beyond anything I think any nation has ever done to insult him. Even beyond Ezekiel. Um, but because he's not just insulted, but he's also full of mercy and goodness and kindness, there's a lot of hope. And I'm going to get to the hope here in just a bit. But I don't want to talk about hope until you get the message through to yourself that we are in more trouble nationally than we have ever been in the history of the world. And that we may be in more trouble than any nation in history has ever been uh, once this completely unfolds. Because to whom is given much, much is required. And much has been required of us. And when I say us, I'm not just talking about Americans I'm talking about believers inside America. Uh, don't take too much comfort in the idea that God will make such a differentiation between the righteous and the unrighteous that the righteous won't be troubled or hit by whatever may be coming. Righteous people around the world are suffering right now because they happen to live in a governmental system that is evil. They may not be personally responsible for why that system is evil, but they are certainly suffering the ramifications of it. Uh, it's too large a subject to get into why God will, would allow that. See, it's only Americans that ask that question usually anyway. Why would God allow? The Chinese church doesn't say why does God allow this to happen. They, they never ask for prayer for their, 
government to be overthrown. They ask for us to pray for them that they will be faithful in the face of the the demands on them, that they will be a shining light, and that they will finish their course with joy and faithfulness. And I pray that same thing for me and you. Now look, this is not going to stay this dark if you'll hold on. But, uh, you know, nobody sees the need for a light unless it's dark. So if you want me to give you some light in this night light, you're going to have to be willing to face the fact that it's night before we can turn on any lights. Turning on the light in the light is invisible. That's why people don't, don't see it. But in the dark, the light is precious. Well, it's dark, and it's getting darker, and it's going to get darker. And if that makes you uncomfortable and makes you want to say that's too negative, then just stop listening. Because I'm telling you, stopping listening is not going to change what's coming. And it will only leave you sitting in ignorance if you ignore the facts. Okay? I don't mean to be harsh, but for heaven's sake, well, not for heaven's sake, for earth's sake, uh, let's get past the idea that we can stick our heads in the sand and somehow that's uh, spiritual uh, positiveness. We are breaking every rule of reality, morally, spiritually, and it's from both sides. I mean, you do understand, I'm not talking about Republican versus Democrat, for heaven's sakes. I'm way beyond being preoccupied with those those false dichotomies. Uh, the, the, the trumpeting of the Republican claim to be pro-family and pro-life and pro-this and pro-that was flushed down the political toilet by their behavior and by their, the fruit of their actions. So uh, I'm, I'm appealing to you, not from the left or from the right, I'm appealing to you with all my heart from the best I can find of the Word of God, the best I can find what the Word of God says. And I'm trying to communicate that. I, you know, If you are listening as a Democrat or as a Republican, uh, I beg you to repent of such foolishness and get before God and cry out to him to help you understand who you are in his eyes and what your responsibility is in your generation. To him. What's your responsibility to him? Now, I've mentioned the worthlessness of money and the collapse of the economy in verses 12 and 13. Uh, I've mentioned the infiltration by foreign gods in the name of of political diversity in chapter 7, verse 21. All souls are precious. Thank God people are coming into this country. I live in a small city that has 27 to 35, depending on the records, different nationalities. It's amazing to live in, in the town I live in. Uh, and and run into people from uh, 25 different countries, 30 maybe different countries. I, I love it. It's a little bit of heaven to me. Unless, in the process, I have, have to deal with uh, uh, a Buddhist temple or uh, uh, the sacrificed animal that was uh, killed to satisfy some voodoo god, uh, etc., then then it becomes an infiltration of evil. Doesn't mean we don't love the people that did it. Doesn't mean we don't want to evangelize them. But we evangelize them. We bring the gospel to them. We don't sit back and say, hey, ain't it great? We've got diversity here. Okay, point number three, the removal by the Holy Spirit. Now get this. The removal by the Holy Spirit of anything holy in the sanctuary. Verse 22 of chapter 7. 
How many of you have, have wearied yourselves with going to church, whatever that means, only to find that when you get there, there's nothing going on there that is of any more spiritual substance than if you had not gone? Uh, it may be entertaining. It may be uh, uh, educational. It may be socially supportive. But you don't sense you have been in the presence of the holy. And you don't sense that you have been among people who tremble in the presence of the holy. And the holy himself has gotten the message and he no longer attends the services. He doesn't come. Well, that service that I attended uh, two weeks ago on a Sunday morning the Holy Spirit was very present. And by the time this pastor was finished, and I want to tell you, he he didn't rant and rave. He didn't preach until his face got red and the veins bulged out of his neck. He wasn't pounding the pulpit. He certainly was not manipulating anybody. He read the word that the Lord had given Maxie. Then he read Ezekiel chapter 7. And then he simply spoke like a father would speak to his children. Uh, where is your heart? I'm not trying to frighten you. I'm not trying to manipulate you. But I certainly don't want to lie to you with false promises. The party is over. What we have seen in an increased degree since the 1960s of an ever-increasing blatancy of arrogance and perversity and sinfulness undergirded by an, a, a, a tremendous materialist uh, economy that uh, seemed to be unstoppable, all of that has come to a screeching halt. You are not yet seeing the full ramifications of it because God in his mercy is giving people time to prepare for it, but no, uh, that, that was the spirit of what he had to say. Now, I keep hearing from people who will tell me what this economist or that economist or this social engineer or that pundit says. The trouble with all of them is, no matter how informed they are, none of them have all the information. You would have to be God to have all the information. See, there, there was a time when it, things operated fairly, inside, you know, to some degree inside a, a structure of sanity, so that you didn't necessarily have to have all the information to know how things are going to generally go. But when everybody began to play by their own rules, then the ability to monitor the outcome, because you have history to base it on, begins to not work anymore. And you, you don't know, well, well, we didn't know this company had done that, well, and whatever it was they did that was illegal, trickle down to people, uh, thousands of people, destroyed thousands of incomes, thousands of uh, uh, life savings. Uh, there's so many now, they, they can't be monitored. And the, you know, there's always the, the law of unforeseen outcomes. And the law of unforeseen outcomes works even when people play by the rules. What happens when the majority of the culture stops obeying any sense of moral responsibility, sexually, economically, relationally, 
internationally, in every area. This is what the prophet's talking about when it says, it will come on you suddenly. It will it will seem like it's just overnight. But underneath, it's working, 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 and then suddenly it happens. We talked about that in our previous time together. Now, I'm telling you all this so that you'll know how to prepare so that you understand God's interest is not in destruction. God's interest is not in sending judgment. The word judgment, by the way, doesn't mean destruction. It means to put right. Who were the judges in the book of Judges? Were they the destroyers or were they the deliverers? Well, they were the deliverers. But sometimes in order to deliver, they had to destroy in order to deliver. A doctor has to destroy disease in order to deliver the patient. God is never focused on destruction for destruction's sake. He's always focused on the destruction of evil for the salvaging of the good. That's why he told Abraham, if you can find ten righteous in Sodom, I'll spare the city. Because God's heart is always unto redemption. Anyway, let me finish this list of uh, characteristics of Ezekiel chapter 7. Uh, the removal by the Holy Spirit of anything holy in the sanctuary. Dead church activity that leaves you hungry no matter how much you try to get something out of it is a manifestation of the chastising work of God on a culture that is naming his name but not seeking his face. The next one, verse 23, an increase in violent crime. I had gotten into a habit in the morning that I have had to recently break. And that is after my Bible study and my time with the Lord to come in and just check the headlines. I don't, I don't want to do that anymore, not because I think ignorance is bliss, but I'll tell you what. I don't need to see listed out in front of me in A, B, C, D order the, the latest demonic horror that has just happened in the cafeteria at a school somewhere or with a person walking across the street to check their mailbox in front of their house or uh, you name it, some normal everyday life activity interrupted by not just a crime, but a crime taken to a level that only a demon-possessed person could perpetrate. And I'm not going to list them because I don't want them into your head, but many of you know them. Now, next one, because I don't want to dwell on the, that one. It's too gross. The next one, uh, verse 26, a loss of leadership. A loss of leadership. And it says people will, because of their panic and because of their fear, they will start looking for someone to tell them what to do. That's exactly what we've got in the... the uh, euphoria of Obama worship. Now, I think some of you know me well enough to know I am not, I have no intention of criticizing this man. Uh, the Bible commands me to pray for him. I do pray for him. And I find actually a compassion in my heart when I pray for him, although his policies are already proving to be the opposite of what he promised. Uh, he's already promised uh, he would not ha allow any uh, lobbyists in in uh, in his administration. Well, he's got several already in there. Doesn't, see, truth doesn't matter. We'll get to that in just a moment. Uh, but uh, the loss of leadership, uh, people longing for someone to tell them what to do, uh, 
and there's not any. Uh, not not any in politics, not any in the church, not any in the local community. Statesmen have been replaced by spinmeisters, and uh, spiritual fathers have been replaced by, uh, in many cases, those who are lecherous, or at best, sometimes uh, controllers out for their own gain. Uh, the stories that come across my desk every day with regard to the manipulation and misuse of people by preachers and by church leadership uh, would 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 curl your hair. And, and pastors out here who are listening to me, please don't misunderstand. I know that there's fine, godly, true shepherds out there who are serving God's people. And every time you hear about some crooked preacher or crooked pastor or crooked church government activity that mistreats God's people, your heart is grieved beyond words. Well, I say this with all due respect to the good pastors and good leaders who are doing the best you can. Uh, our jobs are made much, much worse, much, much more demanding, much, much more difficult by the propagation of the same kind of political uh, spirit inside the church that is turning Washington into a, a zoo with no cage. Uh, the next one, uh, secret sins of spiritual leaders. This is entirely found in chapter 8. Secret sins of spiritual leaders. Saddens me beyond words that uh, Ted Haggart... <laughs> found himself another platform to display himself on public television. Uh, if, I was, if I was that man, and I want to tell you, those of you who know my background, I certainly could have been a Ted Haggard. Uh, I don't say this with any arrogance, God helping me. But, man, get off the TV screen. Get away from the printing press and the public displaying of yourself. Go get yourself before the Lord God Almighty and your wife and your children whom you have almost destroyed and put yourself in God's hands. But don't put yourself in the hands of man. David at least had spiritual sense enough to know when judgment was on him. He said, let me not fall in the hands of man. Let me fall in the hands of God. And I shouldn't be pointing out Ted Haggard. I just do because it just happens that he's back in the limelight put himself back in the limelight. He's back in the limelight because someone he horribly misused has come forward for reasons I don't know why, but he's come forward to make a public statement about what was done to him. And I say that with fear and trembling. I think of the people in my past that I've hurt and that I've injured and that I've mis misled because of my own ignorance. But what I'm appealing to you about is uh, that the loss of leadership and then the secret sin of spiritual leaders is, is a manifestation of God's judgment on a culture. Well, let me, carry, let me carry on. The next one. Rumors and lies instead of communication of facts and truth. That's verse 26. Rumors and lies become the normal communication of the day instead of facts and truth. Most of us understand now, if you don't understand this, please, you need to, that the, the, the desperately needed 
system of checks and balances provided by a free press is gone. The press is simply the instrument now of a system of uh, manipulation and spin and outright lying. Uh, this here again. This is true on both sides. Uh, left or right is not an issue anymore. Please excuse me from even having to make that statement anymore. If we don't know that by now, I don't know what to think. I mean, I hope I'm not talking to anybody who honestly thinks the Republican Party is Christian or that honestly thinks the Republican Party uh, has a, a godly platform. I mean, oh, I know its platform on paper is different from the other one. And I'll be honest with you, those of you who may uh, adhere to the, the party line of the left, I don't comprehend how you can support a, a system that adheres to the murder of babies and the sanctifying, quote-unquote, of same-sex marriage and the propagation of pornography. Uh, I mean, the pornographers rejoice whenever the left is in power for reasons that I doubt I'll have time to mention here. But I'm not interested in talking about parties. If you belong to the, to the Lord, if your heart has Jesus enthroned on it, then your heart is broken over the manifestation of evil that is become so normal in our culture that if somebody points it out, we feel like they have intruded with an over-the-top uh, shrillness that we don't understand why they would give vent to. When the real fact is that the crazy man is the one who thinks everything is okay. And the shrill reactionary who is screaming, how can you let this happen, is the one who still has a shred of sanity and moral reality left inside of him or her. And then finally, uh, this all will result in chapter 14, Ezekiel chapter 14, with invasion, famine, disease, violence, and death on a large scale. Now, it reached such a point in the culture of Ezekiel's day that Ezekiel chapter 14, verse 14, God says, If Noah, Daniel, and Job were alive in your generation and praying for you, they would only save themselves. That tells me, folks, that it is possible to reach a point where the intercessory prayer ministry of the most powerful and anointed intercessor will only save the intercessor himself. We are not at that point. The, the reason I know that I can say clearly that we are not at that point is because of something I've mentioned previously. God told Abram, I will spare Sodom from destruction if I can find Ten righteous in the city. Why? Because any presence of real righteousness has the potential to overthrow the majority unrighteousness. Now, when I say overthrow, I don't necessarily mean that I expect there to be some kind of resurrection of of uh, uh, America as we knew it before 9-11 or as we knew it before these events of the past few months. I don't believe that that is possible on a large scale 
because I don't believe that God, number one, is interested in resurrecting man's cultures. The kingdoms of this world are becoming the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever. And the, 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 the systems of the world, all of them are under judgment. All of them are being shaken. Everything that can be shaken is being shaken, as he promised. The purpose of the shaking is not for the shaking uh, for it, for its own sake, but the purpose of the shaking is to dis- to remove all that can be shaken, so that that which cannot be shaken may remain. So when I talk about hope in the face of this, please don't think I'm talking about the hope of getting back to the days when we run around and eat pizza and uh, go to the ball game and and watch our TVs and kick back and just play like the world is is uh, all okay because we're okay. I don't think any of us want to go back to that. I don't. I I would never want to go back to the partial slumber that I felt like I've been in in certain areas of my life. I'm grateful for the shaking that I have had in my life the last few months. And I'll tell you, I have certainly had some areas that have been shaken, which maybe I can talk about later on. But I'm grateful for them because now that which cannot be shaken is more clear. Uh, But... Noah, Daniel, and Job could not have saved the culture once it reached a point where there was no redemptive quality left inside of it. But Abram could salvage Sodom if he could have. I always wonder what would have happened if he had said, Lord, not ten righteous, but what what if I could find one? Uh, I don't know if Lot's righteousness would have been enough since Lot, bless his heart, seemed to have a real hard time knowing how to manifest the character of God toward his own daughters. But that's a whole other subject, cultural issues involved there that we don't have time to talk about. But the fact is, if there had been anybody in Sodom that was righteous, God would have spared the city because the righteous could overcome the unrighteous, not in the restoring necessarily of the whole city from unrighteousness, but by shining a light in the dark that could produce redemptive purposes that would motivate God to say, I will give you more time because there's hope for life to come out of this death, uh, as he did, for instance, for Nineveh. Nineveh was given uh, uh, a reprieve from impending judgment because there was repentance. So, I don't believe that we are at the point of no return in in uh, certain areas of hope. I do believe some things are at the point of no return. Uh, I don't think I'm qualified to sit here and try to delineate what is and what isn't at the point of no return. I think only time will tell and we will know by observing what is and what isn't at the point of no return. But as long as your heart is moved on by the Holy Spirit to intercede, to pray, and to stand in the gap for whatever you're burdened over, then you take authority in that burden and stand as a king and priest in the gap on behalf of those issues. In Ezekiel 14, when it says, if Daniel, Job, and uh, Noah were, were praying for the nation, only they would save themselves. There are four basic issues in the nation that cause them to become beyond help, beyond hope, beyond reach. Uh, they're familiar, but let's look at them quickly. Idolatry practiced right in God's face. 
In other words, it's not just idolatry of the worst pagan kind, but it's done in the name of Yahweh. It is done in the name of God. Uh, I'll just give one example. I'm, I'm told fairly often by people uh, coming out of sexually broken lifestyles that they knew for years if they wanted to find the best sexual contacts to satisfy their uh, various perversions, they knew usually where they could go uh, was the local Episcopal church. Uh, they could find an Episcopal church. They could find out from there uh, where the gay bars are and the pornographers and the best meeting places, etc. Of course, now don't, let's don't just focus on homosexuality. That that could also be true for some churches where uh, the best place to go to pick up your uh, heterosexual uh, adultery partner might be the singles group. Impurity mixed in the worship of the holy is far more blasphemous in God's eyes than ignorant pagan demon worship that is not mixed. You'd be better off to be a pagan worshiping a tree in ignorance than to be a, cl a claim to be a believer mixing the holy with the unholy. Second thing, materialism in the face of the suffering poor. Ezekiel chapter 16. This was the sin of your sister Sodom. Abundance of food, abundance of idleness, abundance of arrogance, yet you did not strengthen the hand of the poor and the needy. Uh, that is such a huge subject, I won't even try to pursue it right now. We need time just on the subject of what are you doing to care for the widow, the orphan, and the poor. Number three, sexual impurity of every sort. Uh, this is different from the first one, idolatry practiced right in the face of Yahweh. Uh, because the first one is addressed to so-called believers. This third one is addressed to the whole culture. And you know, sometimes I think we get the idea that if a person is a Christian, then they come under God's authority. Kind of like, nobody can tell me what to do but my mom and daddy. But my mom and daddy shouldn't be trying to tell somebody else's kids what to do. And they, this American idea that, uh, you know, I am my own boss and I don't have to answer to any anybody, uh, has actually taken precedence in some people's minds over the idea that they have to answer to a sovereign God who is ruler of the universe. You know what I'm saying? If I, if I try to talk about that too much, my head's going to pop right off. But uh, I wanna, God's judgment is coming on all nations. God is the God of all nations. In case... We don't know it in case we've forgotten it. Everybody has to answer to God. Whether they believe him or not, whether they are Buddhist or Hindu or atheist or... Everybody has to answer to God. I want to read to you just some information related to the porn activity inside this country now. This is just America. This doesn't include... Europe and other parts of the country of the world, but uh, uh, we already know what porn is doing to men. But we have totally underestimated the de deforming effect of porn, particularly online porn, uh, what it has on the adolescent human brain as well as the adult brain. 
What occurs in the brain and in, in the entire nervous system via online porn is a study too large and too important to attempt to describe here. It's available to you if you're interested in it. All you got to do is contact me and I'll supply you with the information. But here's just some information about women now, women related to porn. In a single month of 2004, 32 million women visited porn sites. By 2005, 41% of women reported purposefully seeking web porn. Now, Zogby reports one out of every six women are porn addicts in America. 80% of these women believe it is a viable means of finding relationships. More than 80% seek out direct contact with a person who they met online. You imagine that? 80% of these women seek out men they've met online. Monsters, vampires, werewolves, they don't know who they're meeting. Women who become porn addicts tend to become even more sick than men. And what about children? 30% of teenage girls report being approached online by predators. 7% let their parents know. 30%, but only 7% let their parents know. 86% of teen and preteen children say they have been on a chat line without their parents' knowledge. 64% of teens admit doing things online they don't want parents to know. 95% of parents do not know coded chat lingo that kids use to avoid adult supervision. The number of online child porn images has increased 1,500% since 1988. Searches for toddler and infant sex sites are soaring. Child porn brings in to the monsters who make it $3 billion a year. Teenage boys are becoming so aroused by online porn that they will relieve each other, thus increasing the sexual confusion related to gender identity and the disintegration of manhood. 49% of teens have posted personal information online for strangers to be able to locate them. 49% of teenagers have put personal information online so that strangers can locate them. The chemical releases of the body of an online porn user is exactly the same as drug addiction. And it is accurate to speak of it as a drug addiction. These statistics are the same among Christians. The porn pushers are now working to develop ways to send their drug, pornography, directly to your children's phones. Teens and even preteens already bored with pornography are now talking or uh, taking sexually explicit photos of each other and passing them around to their friends over the telephone. One of my spiritual sons, who is a coach of a, a preschool, of a middle school age ball team, told me of this activity taking place among some of his students. All church members. 
Most children interviewed said they would probably go on to meet a person they had contacted in the chat room, even though they know it could be life-threatening. The sense of thrill increases the sexual excitement, they said. The degree of sexual arousal cut off from any adult self-control is destroying the development of sane heterosexual commitment. The lure of exploring the forbidden has opened the floodgates to every perversion for them to explore with no holds barred. In the name of freedom of speech, children are raped. If you think that is a frightening fact for a parent to consider, then it gets a good bit worse. These porn-induced chemical actions deform the sex drive into a heartless appetite. The younger it starts, the worse the potential. It took Ted Bundy decades to become a, a monster, to go from a 1 turned on by a Playboy photo to a 10 turned on by killing. But research now shows that online porn can speed up that process by light years so that a developing preteen or teen can go from a 1 to a 10 or somewhere in between in just a matter of months. Yet the proliferation of this evil is calculated, organized, well-funded, and aggressively aimed at your family. What would you do if you knew heroin or crack was being fed to your family through the water pipes? Something more pernicious is, and most people are already infected and are in a coma. And for those of you who are aware, only five days ago, our wonderful Supreme Court decreed that there uh, that no law passed by the Congress meant to protect children from this is constitutional. All laws protecting children from this have been struck down. You think that doesn't fly in the face of Almighty God? Do you think Almighty God doesn't see that day in and day out? Day in and day out. An ever-increasing stack of judgment against this nation. And not only do we, we, we do it to our own children, but we are the chief exporter in the world. I mean, it didn't take five days when the wall came down, uh, the Berlin Wall. It didn't take five days for American companies, porn companies, to be in there setting up shop. Now here's 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 what Ezekiel 14 describes a people who lost their conscience. They lost their ability to be shocked. They lost their ability to be moved. You know, this is a whole other subject, and I don't have time to get into it adequately. But when God, when Jesus says to Capernaum, "Woe to you, Capernaum!" It would have been better uh, that that you'd never heard. Then, then uh, the, he said, if the things done inside you had been done in Sodom and Gomorrah, they would have repented. Woe to you. What was the thing about Capernaum that was so woeful in God's eyes? It was not that they were acting like Sodom. It's simply that they were acting unmoved at all by the presence of Messiah. Indifference was more more damning to them. Are you getting what I'm saying? Indifference was more damning to them than the sin of Sodom was to Sodom. Indifference. Oh, hum. Now, look, 
I know we're all we're all hyper busy. The power of darkness will keep you busy. Busy, busy, busy. I'm so sick of people who are so busy they can't think. I don't know what to do. And I don't want to be judgmental because I know people have their own personal battles they're fighting. But I wonder how many of our personal battles are because we've bought stuff we don't need to impress people we don't like with money we don't have. And it's eating away the soul of our very being besides all the electronic junk. Don't I don't want anybody else telling me what kind of new gadget I need. I don't need any of them. I don't need this one I'm using. If I had to, I'd write to you. Sometimes I would rather write to you because sometimes when I'm writing, I behave myself better than when I'm recording. And maybe I get my, well, get my point across more, but, but people are absolutely being taken over by it and it is destroying. I don't care what you might have been hearing from the opposite point of view. We have the facts that it is altering our children's ability to have a proper conscience and a proper emotional attachment to their parents. And you parents who are so overrun and so tired and so busy that you stick a electronic of, uh, device in front of your kid or stick you know something in their ear ear uh, to keep them busy so you're not bothered by them and then wonder why they don't hear you when you want to get through to them. I mean, I'm not saying be legalistic and throw it all out the window, but for heaven's sakes, no, for earth's sake, for our sake, don't let it take you over. Don't be a mindless consumer who buys and operates whatever the system tells you you're supposed to have. Anyway, sorry. We are, if we are not shocked, then we're in danger. If, if we're not shocked, we're in danger. Let me show you the, the, the six steps toward becoming like the people of Ezekiel 14 were. Now, the first the first step is when evil begins to be manifested in, in, in some form, we should be shocked. Number two, we waste energy blustering about it with little effect. That's what we normally do. Boy, I'm I'm guilty of that. Then number three, if we fail to act and just bluster we become ineffective. Okay, number four, if we become ineffective by just blustering without acting, we become passive and then consider it too large a battle to fight. I think this is where most people are right now. I think most of the people who listen to me and many, many, many others, they are shocked and they are blustering and they are ready to act, but they don't know what to do. And so they go passive and then, then they begin to consider it too large. And when you start considering it too large, then you're in a dangerous area because the next step is we settle into the status quo and willfully embrace stupidity so that we can function. And that brings us to the final step. Once we reach the final stage of passivity in the face of evil, we're, we're lost. We become people who are no longer effective against evil. So what can we do? Well, the first thing you got to do is get educated. I think you've always been doing that or you wouldn't be part of Nightlight. And I'm certainly not the only source of helpful information. 
but get educated, learn all you can about this war, and recognize that we are in a full-scale war between light and dark, not between flesh and flesh. Our, our wrestling match is not again. I want to tell you, I, when I say I pray for Obama, I mean it. I pray for him. I don't pray for him as president out of duty. I pray for him as a person. Somewhere in him, all of this motivation that he has for what he thinks is right would be revealed by the Holy Spirit for what it is, and that he as a human being would come to face himself before a holy God. I pray for his wife. I pray for his children. I pray for that those things that are dear to him. Uh, I pray for the blind spots in his life, like the fact that uh, he wants my children in public schools where they have to dodge bullets and foolishness, uh, but his are in private school, as is so common with the uh, liberal elite that uh, tells me what I need to do, but then does the opposite, usually at uh, the expense of my tax money. Number two, build relationships with other people who are like-minded. Build relationships. And my church doesn't care. There's somebody in your church that cares. Ask the Holy Spirit to help you find the people who are sitting quietly and are frustrated like you are. And then get together and exhort one another, not with negative, uh, dark information, uh, but with uh, a heart to encourage and strengthen one another to know what to do positively, to, to bring redemption wherever it's possible to bring redemption. Number three, watch over your own heart and keep it clean. What you do enters your home, your bedroom, and your children. Deuteronomy 7, verse 26. Never think you sin privately. Never think you sin alone. My sin affects my wife, my children, all the people that I care for, all the people who are under my influence. Number four, educate your family and rule over your children's electronics. I've already mentioned that. Number five, pray for a mighty outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon you, your family, your church family, and the nation. That is ultimately our only hope. And again, I'm not saying that there's going to be a national revival that restores America. But I'm talking about uh, uh, the sin, uh, the, the light's getting lighter, the dark's getting darker. I'm praying that there'll be a separation of the wheat and the tares. And that those whose hearts are open to receive God's grace, that the Spirit of God would be poured upon them. I pray that for my children. I pray for my children that they not just be right with God and squeak into heaven barely by the skin of their teeth but that God would raise them up to be lights in their generation. And number six, pray for porn pushers to be ruined. Psalm 33, verse 10. Psalm 35, verses 1 through 8. Psalm 33, 10 says, The Lord nullifies the counsel of the nations, or the, the pagans. He frustrates the plans of the people. I pray that their plans be nullified and that their their machinations and their traps they set for people, especially people that I love that are in my circle of influence, that they would, they would fail. Psalm 35, verses 1 through 10, Contend, O Lord, with those who contend with me. Fight against those who fight against me. Take hold of buckler and shield and rise up on my behalf. Draw also the spear and the battle axe to meet those who pursue me. <laughs> If, uh, if you're a man listening to this, you know exactly what I'm talking about. That stuff pursues you. 
you know, I get it's men. It's not right for you to feel like you're the you're the pervert and there's something wrong with you all the time. They are perpetrators of poison, and I pray, Lord, that uh, that they'll be overthrown. That they'll come either be overthrown by the mercy of God at the cross, or they'll be overthrown by their own wickedness. But uh, that they'll be removed. That they'll collapse. Anyway, in closing. In your newsletter, we have listed some information concerning things that we are about to set in motion that are for the purpose of increasing our ability to speed up uh, our activity in the war. And uh, that's all there for your perusal. But just please recognize that I recognize that you can't do what I do and I can't do what y'all do and if it wasn't for y'all doing what you do I couldn't do what I do remember that when David and his men came back from battle and found that their wives and children had been kidnapped some of the men had to go back out to fight with alongside David to get their families back and others had to stay by the stuff and the people that stayed by the stuff got the same reward as those out on the front of the battle don't, I mean, we couldn't do what we do out in the battle if you weren't no, not back there doing what you do by the stuff. And Jesus used that same principle when he said those who start working at the end of the day are just as, uh, pay just as much as the ones who started at the beginning. Now, we're finally to the positive part, and I'm out of time. So read Ezekiel chapter 22, verse 30, and that's where we'll pick up next time. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye.